You're listening to PR Hangover, a bi-weekly public relations podcast brought to you by Grand Valley State University's chapter of PRSSA. I'm your host, Olivia Dolly, and I want to thank you for choosing this podcast to cure your PR hangover. He is the chairman and chief connectivity officer of the IW Group, which is an advertising agency located in areas such as Los Angeles, New York, San Francisco, and Dallas. This man is someone who thoroughly enjoys finding ways to connect others in areas that are actually truly important in life. He says that the best way to describe his personal brand is always. He's always curious about people and what motivates them. He's constantly learning. He's constantly discovering new ways to approach a challenge. And he's always looking for others to share and to be purposeful in life. And I feel like, actually, I don't feel like I know that in public relations, we are constantly looking for more. There's never one way that we learn it, and then that's good, because the strategies and the tactics that we might work on using in some areas might be different in 10 or 15 years, and so just having that growth mindset is so important in public relations. And so today, Bill talks to us about his journey in public relations and advertising, and just as a businessman himself, and he shares ways and challenges that he has faced in his life. And then he also tells us that it's okay to fail. And that was something that really stuck with me because constantly I'm always looking to, and I know that a lot of people can relate to this, that they're always looking to just get that perfect score, get that perfect everything. They're just trying to make everything as relatable and good as possible. Not always going to be perfect. And I like to look at it as if I'm not doing something wrong, then there's something wrong. There's always room for growth and improvement. And throughout this episode, Bill just explains how he overcame that fear that we may be having. As you listen to this episode today, just remember that we all have made our mistakes. We've all have done things that we regret or wish that we could have changed. But in the end, you know, it's going to help us to get us to where we are today. And so I would love to welcome to you Bill Amato. Bill, welcome to PR Hangover. I'm really excited to have you here with us today. I know that you are a very busy person, and so it really means a lot that you took the time to help students um, learn more about what you do and who you are. Oh, absolutely. Looking forward to the conversation. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So um, I usually end the episode with this question, but I thought that you could really give some really great insight. What is one piece of advice that you wish that you would have known while you were in undergrad that you know now? Yeah, probably the thing that I wish I had known when I was an undergrad was how to fail. Uh, I don't think that that was something I was taught uh, at university. Uh, And, uh, you know, when you go to university, you get the foundations on how to deal with marketing and public relations. And then when you get out of college, Nobody really teaches you how to deal with different types of personalities, deadlines, different expectations. Uh, it, it doesn't necessarily go from A to B, B to C, C to D. It's often very messy. And so I wish somebody had said, um, you're going to fail and you're going to fail multiple times. Just pick yourself up and try again. And not everyone knows what you know, and not everyone sees the world the way you do. So. 
if I could give myself some advice, I would say, learn how to fail, learn how to pick yourself up. Wow. No, that is actually, that is really good advice because yeah, you're right. We're taught um, usually things are going to be, they're going to play out this way, but in the end, you just, you never really know how something can turn out. So thank you. Um, Do you want to just tell us a little bit about you and maybe what you do, some of your background? Sure. Absolutely. So I was actually born in the far East, the far Eastern part of Oregon, right on the Oregon, Idaho border. I come from a farming family. Uh, We grew potatoes, alfalfa, um, sugar beets, and onions. And ultimately, my parents decided that they wanted to move all of the kids in my family and my siblings to Los Angeles so that we could be closer to my mother's living relative, uh, but also to give ourselves a little bit more exposure to a larger city. Uh, And so uh, I grew up in Los Angeles. Sorry for all that noise. I'm not sure where that's all coming from, but hopefully it's not from my computer. No, I can't hear anything at all. Okay, great. And so uh, I grew up uh, in Los Angeles, went to public schools, uh, and ultimately did not want to go to college. I went, "Eh, I don't want to go to college. But you could imagine my parents were saying, no, you got to go to college. We didn't move to L.A. for no reason at all. You better find a way to go to college. I said, yeah, I'm going to go to college, but I'm not going to go to a college that you want me to go to. So I applied for a state university up in Northern California, as far away as I can get from Los Angeles, got accepted. uh, And then I couldn't get into the dorm. So I ended up going to California State University, Northridge, which is in Los Angeles, studied sociology, hated it, thought I would do psychology, hated it. Uh, And then I ultimately found my way to uh, business, uh, business management and ultimately got my degree in business management. But before I did that, uh, I wanted to go into advertising and public relations, and I applied for a job at McCann, which is a major ad agency uh, that is best known probably in the movie series uh, Netflix, and I didn't get that job. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't very happy. So I said, okay, I'm not going to work in advertising and marketing and PR, so I'm going to go a different direction. So I went into HR. And I got a really great job before I graduated. And I thought, well, I'm going to graduate, do this job. And they said, no, 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 you need to take this job now or give it up. And I said, "Uh, I need to graduate. And they said, well, you can graduate later. Why don't you take this job? So I ended up taking a job in HR. And that's how my career got started. And of course, it weaved from left and right, north and south. And so a lot of people criticize Gen Zers and millennials as bouncing around from job to job. I was one of those people. I bounced around from job to job. I thought I had the perfect job, hated it, went into politics, hated it, went to executive recruiting, liked it, good money, but ultimately said, no, this isn't what I want to do. So uh, I started a company, that company failed. uh, And as I was transitioning, I got an opportunity to work uh, with Ogilvy, which was starting a new public relations division called Ogilvy, Mather, Adams and Reinhardt. And uh, that's what helped propel my career today. Wow. So it sounds, yeah, it sounds like you've definitely had a whirlpool of just experiences upon experiences, but I, I don't, I also don't see the problem with kind of job, you know, job jumping. Cause like you want to make the most out of it. You know, you don't want to have to do one thing for the, for the rest of your life. So that, yeah, I mean, ultimately that would kind of be the goal for me, you know, resume builders and everything surrounding that. For sure. It's okay. It's okay. If you bounce around, you're ultimately going to 
find what you love doing. Uh, and, and it might take two, three, four, five, six times before you find a job uh, or a career option that, wow, I, I like this. It speaks to me. It aligns with my values. It allows me to be who I am. Uh, and it might take uh, multiple tries, but ultimately you'll find something that you really love. Exactly. A lot of my friends and even classmates, they really struggle with not knowing what they want to do. And I have just been so content with knowing that I might I have a plan right now, but I'm I know that this plan could change, but I'm open to those opportunities. And I think that you just have to go into it like having an open mind. Yeah. And even if you choose the wrong path, um, be the best that you can be in that position. Uh, learn as much as you possibly can, and then always keep your eye open for another opportunity. Uh, and you will make some choices that you will regret, um, but ultimately uh, you're going to learn from all of those experiences. Exactly, exactly. So um, do you want to tell us a little bit about your company? Um, sure. that, and like what you do or um, maybe how it originated? <laughs> Yeah, I won't give you the long drawn out story, but, you know, um, as I was transitioning from this business uh, and uh, going to help uh, as a consultant, uh, Ogilvy, Mayor, Adams and Reinhardt get started, just as these transitions were going on, um, I had an opportunity to pitch uh, Anheuser-Busch. Um, the RFP, the request for proposal, was a little unusual. If you had a half a million dollars or so, how would you reach Asian-Americans? <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it kind of came to me and they said, hey, Bill, do you want to work on this? Uh, at the time, my business partner didn't know anything about Asian Americans. And I said, well, why should I do this? Just because I am Asian American doesn't mean I know how to market to Asian American people. And they said, well, do you want to do it or not? And I thought about it and thought about it and ultimately decided, yeah, let's give this a try and pull together a pretty good team uh, and went and pitched Anheuser-Busch. Made a lot of mistakes on that pitch, but ultimately came up with a, a presentation that involved scraps of paper and post-it notes and a, and a flip chart that we had on a table. Uh, we actually made some adjustments to that campaign as we were flying to St. Louis, hit a snowstorm, uh, and uh, ultimately decided uh, if we really believe in what we're pitching, we can sell this even with post-it notes and scraps of paper. So we pitched the executive VP and a, a bunch of leaders from Anheuser-Busch. And uh, I think they thought it was the weirdest presentation they'd ever seen. No yeah. cool PowerPoints, no beautiful videos, um, no beautiful sound effects. Uh, we just did this very passionate presentation using scraps of paper and flipboards on a, on a table. And at the very end, uh, we were told we probably wouldn't get the work because it was such a lowbrow uninspiring looking presentation and they expected a little bit more from us. And we were kind of resigned to the fact that, or to our fate that we might not get the business. And a few days later, the executive vice president called me up and said, congratulations, you've won our business. I really love one of your ideas about people skiing uh, and um, a ski fiesta. And he just happened to be a Latinx person. Uh, and so uh, next thing you know, uh, we got that opportunity. Unfortunately, the company that I was moving to couldn't work on it. So uh, this uh, executive vice president said, why don't you start your own company? And they said, well, I really don't want to start another company. The first company I started was a miserable failure, and I really need to uh, work. Uh, and I told him that I had a lot of debt. And 
oddly enough, this man paid my debt so I could get my company started. And so very first client I had was Anheuser-Busch out of St. Louis, Missouri. Worked with them for 11 years, and that's how the company got started. Oh, my goodness. Wow. That is really inspiring. Yeah, because you went after that. You had no idea. You weren't even sure that you would get this. And then you took that chance. And now look at where you're at. So, wow, that is really inspiring. It's very yeah. cool. And uh, it, it's it's been a great ride. And I love every single day of my job. And no two days are the same. And that's what the beauty of, of being in business for yourself, but also being able to work with a variety of different clients is also quite inspiring and fun. Oh, for sure. Um, so what is one thing that your company values? What is one thing that you guys really set, like, this is who we are and this is what we stand for? One of the things that we really strongly believe in is that for every dollar you make, you need to give two back uh, and make an impact in the communities that you serve. So our team works with a variety of nonprofits. We've actually started five nonprofits. Uh, national nonprofits. And so uh, everything that we do, we always keep in mind that we are part of a broader community and that we always have to do something to make sure that community is better than it was, you know, a year ago or two years ago. So every dollar we make, we give two back. We serve on more than 30 boards and advisory councils from around the country. Uh, and if we don't see uh, an organization that meets the needs of specific communities, we created an organization. And so the hallmark for our group is uh, we're part of the community. We have to give back and we have to make an impact. And that impact has to be positive. Wow. I really like that. Yeah. And, you know, you're helping communities. You know, if you are putting something in, you just expect to output as well. So really cool. Really interesting. Um, I guess what I know that you really value cultural insight. So um, what, how important is it to you and how you kind of show that? Yeah, well, cultural insights is extremely important now because the world is changing rapidly. The demographics are changing quite rapidly and companies and agencies need to stay on top of those changes. And a lot of people are very set in their ways. They see something that works, they don't want to change it. They hold on to old adages that often set us back or stop us from innovating. And I just want to give you a couple of examples because uh, uh, some international students really brought this to my attention and also brought to attention my own biases. Um, but one example is something that we say a lot in agencies and in the advertising and PR world. Let's not reinvent the wheel. Uh, and that was meant to encourage people from not doing something that has already been done and tried, a process, uh, an, uh, an activity, an activation, a product. Once something is created, uh, it's not necessary to go back and reinvent it because everything has been done. And uh, an international student said to me, Mr. Mata, I moved to the United States for one reason. It's because the United States is the land of innovation a place where anybody who works hard can succeed. If Americans can come up with a better wheel, what, what's, what's stopping them? And I said, yes, absolutely. So I tell people, if you have a better wheel and you want to create that wheel, regardless of whether or not it was created or not, go for it. And even things like, um, let's think outside of the box. Um, 
uh, an international student said, Mr. Mata, I don't quite understand why Americans and agency people say this. Where does this box come from? Was it created? Was it built? Did somebody make it from scratch? Uh, and why do we have a box in this discussion anyway? So as I was trying to explain that most people often get stuck in groups and groupthink or a classroom or an agency, uh, when they work with people for a very long time, they get a little bit caught up in the culture of that organization and they may not think creatively. And so we look outside of this confines of the university or agency to find inspiration. And this student said, Mr. Amato, why do American people hire people like you and employees and they don't consult them? Why do they believe the inspiration is somewhere outside of the agency or outside of their companies? Why can't they think in the box first, explore what's there, and then share it with the rest of the world later? So now I tell everyone, think in the box. Your employees and your staff are your greatest asset, and you should always tap them first. Yeah, I yeah, that actually kind of reminds me of um what I was doing when I was like becoming the podcast director. Um before we were trying to reach this like global um audience, you know, and we weren't trying to tailor it towards our students. But ultimately, like this is meant to help our students. It's not I mean, we obviously want it to help as many people as we can, but our ultimate goal is for our community and giving back to our people. So that, yeah, I really like that a lot. Um, wow, yeah. And so I guess with all of your success in um, integrative communications, do you have any tips for maybe some students on creating that perfect campaign? Absolutely. Uh, so when you're looking at campaigns, think about branding. And, and the interesting thing about people involved in public relations uh, is they often don't have an opportunity to take classes in the business school. So I'm not sure how things are set up over at Grand Valley, but many universities, uh, the marketing function is in the School of Business. And then the communications, PR and media side is in the School of Journalism and Communication. Um, if that's the case for the students at your university or in your region, I encourage people to reach out so if they're taking, uh, if they're involved in public relations, reach out to the School of Business and take some business courses. Uh, learn how to do a P&L statement, a profit and loss statement. Lo learn how to use Excel. And if you're on the business side, take some public relations and media courses. Uh, it's going to make a huge difference. Uh, and it made a difference for me taking courses in branding um, um, because, uh, we're all a brand, every single student, every single faculty member, every alumni has their own personal brand. And it's very important that you nurture that brand as much as possible through your entire career. Because one thing about branding that we all have is brand equity. And brand equity is only built if you keep learning and being curious. So I always tell PR students and marketing students, Always be curious about what is happening, not only in your local communities, on your campus, but all around you in the state, all around you in the region, all around you to our northern neighbors in Canada and around the globe, uh, to always stay current on some of the key trends and issues that exist. Um, I also want to say that when you build your equity, you could lose that equity in literally a second. 
by making a mistake or creating a problem or making somebody feel bad. Uh, and so you want to guard your equity and build your equity uh, because the more equity that you have, the more uh, opportunities you have to use it in positive ways. But if you make a mistake or you say something bad or you do something terrible, uh, you could ruin and lose some of that equity that you worked so hard to build. Exactly. We're talking about that right now, just being conscious of what we put out there because um, all of it will add up in the end, for sure. Yeah, and I have to say, um, I didn't learn that until very late in life. And so that would probably be another piece of advice I would give to people is people will remember your achievements at work, uh, the great innovation you created, the great contract you won, the great job that you did on a specific activation, they're going to remember how you made them feel. Um, and if you make somebody feel bad, regardless of whether or not you don't like them or you don't agree with them uh, on one issue at a, at a time or a day, um, they're always going to remember how you treated them and how you made them feel. And if I could take some of the things I did in the past back, <laughs> I probably would do that. Uh, but, uh, you know, that was a lesson, a very hard lesson to learn. Right, exactly. So just be conscious of ethics and your surroundings and just remembering that everyone comes from a different background than you and they have different perspectives of things. And just I like to keep my platforms as neutral as possible for that reason. Yeah, it's fun to have d discussions about things you disagree, uh, but you could disagree politely. You can disagree civilly uh, and uh, you're going to run across a number of people that you won't agree with. And some people, you know, you're never going to change their minds. So you do have to pick and choose some of your discussions. Uh, but um, I believe you should listen to try to understand uh, and also do your best to have a civil discussion because uh, you, you never know when you're going to need that point of view or that person to help you on something in the future. And, uh, and so uh, I encourage people to listen to understand and to treat people civilly uh, as much as possible yeah, and to be open-minded about different points of view. Exactly, exactly. Right. Um, and then just like going back to the, the campaign thing, um, what do you think are some of the key differences between when you're trying to advertise locally and nationally? Mm, the, the beauty of advertising locally is that uh, you know you, you live and work in in the community you you feel the community in every sense of the word uh, you see the customers you see the communities you see some of the issues that are important to local communities so sometimes it's easier to find that marketing or brand essence because not only do you see it you feel it you feel the emotions you feel the tension you feel the things that people love you hear about it through word of mouth through social media through your interactions with consumers, with faculty, with students, with community people each and every day. So sometimes it's a lot easier to work on a local campaign because you have that level of brand essence, the rational and the emotional, and you live and breathe it every single day that you're in town. On a national level, it's a little more difficult uh, because, because of the very broad diversity that exists around the country, um, the polarization, uh, the, the socioeconomic issues, 
um, immigrants versus people that have been here seven, eight generations, um, people that are married and unmarried. You, you, there's just such a vast array of people that it requires someone that is going to be patient and understands uh, the cultures of each of these areas, understands uh, the media and how people consume it, understands the uh, local issues uh, and regional issues. And, and that's not always possible. Um when you're when you're doing a, a, a national campaign, uh, the beauty of doing something locally also is that um, you probably have broad diversity in different ways. It might be diversity of mindset, it might be diversity of races and ethnicities, uh, it might be uh, diversity in terms of generation, and so it's almost a little microcosm of what it is like in the world. But when you get to a national level or to a global, uh, it's a little bit more difficult to kind of put your arms around all the needs, interests, and aspirations of the consumers you're trying to reach. Exactly. Right. Okay. That was, that was, that was really good. I was just um, trying to kind of like differentiate the two and just see some of the similarities and differences. I always like to try to find the things that are, that we share in common first and build from there. Uh, but it's getting a little harder to find things that we all share in common. Um, but, but once you find those like levers and, and that, that are really important to the consumers or business owners you're trying to reach, um, it's sometimes easier to find the things that make us unique that can be celebrated. Um, and then we even have a little formula that we created for PR. Uh, we have this little formula called Lucky, L-U-C-K-Y. Uh, and so when we're doing public relations, activations, events, and marketing, we always look locally first. So the L is critical because we really want to know the local mindset. But then the U is what's unique about it. What is different in the state of Michigan that is different and unique um, to people in Texas or in Oklahoma or Hawaii or Alaska? And then we look for the conflict. Um, is there something that we can expose that shows the tension of the conflict? Uh, that exist in what we're trying to push or present? Are we solving something? Uh, are we providing a solution? Uh, is there some tension or things that we need to be concerned about that what we're doing resolves? And then the K is something that's known or should be known. Um, and the Y is yield. And yield in, in not a way to stop or hold back, but yield in uh, what is the benefit to the consumer, to the business group. So local, unique, um, exposing or um, identifying the conflict, what should be known or is known about the product or service or the person, and what is it, what's the yield for the community or the consumer we're trying to reach? Why should they care? Mm -hmm. Right. So if we get all of those, then we feel like we have a really good brand strategy. Okay. Yeah, that, that's helpful. Our campaign. Right. Exactly. Awesome. Thank you. And then um, do you want to tell us a little bit about um, the national millennial and Gen Z community that you've created? Sure. So uh, we had seven interns uh, a little over seven years ago and uh, received a lot of reports about millennials, some reports about Generation Z. Uh, they all piled up on my desk one day. Uh, didn't want to read them because some of them were voluminous and frankly, I don't like reading data. Um, but they just piled up and they were from very prominent, prominent companies. I mean, if I mentioned the names of these companies, you would recognize almost all of them. 
uh, these really extensive reports done by very prominent and well-known academics. One day took the reports home because I thought this would be really good sleeping material. Read it while before I go to bed, be mm -hmm. bored and fall asleep. Mm -hmm. So I started reading them and um, I have to say it was amusing to read some of these things. Millennials, they're lazy. Millennials, they jump from job to job. Millennials uh, have a low attention span. Next one, millennials hate insurance. Next report, millennials know how important insurance is in their lives. Another report, millennials will not drive cars because they have other options like Bird and Lyft and Uber. Another one says millennials want to save up for a car because they want to be independent. And it's like, I don't understand these reports. Why does this say something about bad about insurance? This says something positive. Why does it say want own car? And it was completely confusing to read these reports. And I was looking at who wrote these reports, all these really big name universities on the East Coast or the West Coast. Uh, and I decided I'm going to bring those reports in, give it to all the interns who are from seven different places in the country. I had them read it for a week and they laughed and screamed and grumbled. It, it was pretty darn amusing being outside of the room. What? Who says? <laughs> no, this is wrong. Uh, no, this is dope. I was like, going, it was just, just very fun comments. And then I would uh, walk in later and I said, hey, what did you think of the reports? 70% of it, 80% of it is BS, Mr. Amada. I said, what do you mean BS? He goes, this is like, who, who writes these reports? Well, these universities on the East Coast and the West Coast. And they said, well, 80% of it's wrong. But we own up to 20% of it. And I said, why don't you do something about it? And they said, because we can't. And I said, why not? And they go, because boomers like you, Mr. Amada, control the narrative about who we are. Marketing people, advertising and PR people, they do the spin uh, on who Gen Z is and who younger millennials are. We don't have any control of that because we don't have power. I said, wow, you really do have power. You just don't know how to use it. That's how the National Millennial Committee got started. I said, uh, I will create a forum uh, where you will have control, uh, but I'm going to put you in front of the most prominent executives in the country and around the world. And it's up to you to dispel those myths about millennials and Gen Z. Are you up for it? And they said, yes. So almost eight years later, they've met 350 executives, including presidents, executive VPs and VPs from over 130 different companies, governmental agencies, foundations and nonprofits. Oh my goodness. Wow. Wow. And, and they have changed the narrative on so many things when the, when the meetings happen, I do not jump in. Um, I just said, okay, the meeting's yours. Uh, they plan the meetings, they organize the meetings, they have these conversations with the executives. The executives, instead of having, you know, when you, when you uh, probably at your university, this happens, you get these PR people and ad people come in, they come to your class, they do a lecture with PowerPoint, show a few fun videos. Hey, anybody have any questions? Mm -hmm. Oh, by the way, if we have internships and jobs and this is how you apply, look me up on LinkedIn. And then as soon as that's done, they walk out the door and they're gone. This is different. Uh, the millennials and Gen Zs, we go to corporations. The corporations spend maybe five minutes, 10 minutes if we have some time on who they are. The rest of the hour to two hours is spent 
where they're asking you questions. They're engaging you in finding solutions. So you put your university work to task, uh, but you're also given a real world look at what companies, foundations, governmental agencies, and nonprofits go through and the challenges that they face. And then you help them find a solution. And that's what we do. But we also dispel all these myths about Gen Zers and millennials along the way. Interesting. Wow. So you're talking directly to executives. You're not going through a filter. You're not going through a club advisor. You're you're talking to the president of UPS. You're talking to the president of AT&T Business. You're talking to partners of major accounting firms. You're talking to the people that create the magic at Disney or create the magic at Google. You're helping banks and financial institutions find the best way to create a product that meets your needs, not their needs. And so um, these are the discussions that we have. But we also do challenges, um, a cooking challenge. Uh, <laughs> we, we, when we were in Northern Cal, I know that we're probably running out of time, but when we were in Northern Cal, um, I, I, I talked to Campbell Soup and they were telling Bill, a lot of people aren't eating our product anymore. Uh, and I said, well, let's have, let's, let's do a little fun with this. Send me the product and we'll, we'll do a cooking challenge. So in Northern California, I told, uh, uh, Gen Zers and millennials, um, you have to make a dish in 30 minutes or less. That's economical. That's healthy. And you have 30 minutes to do it with people you just met. Oh my goodness. And they created this amazing a group of dishes and they were like very, very proud. We ta- taught them nice skills and cleanliness and there were three chefs to help them out. And then we did a, a pivot. Oh, you're going to switch teams now and here are your new teams. You have to make another dish with whatever's in this basket in 30 minutes or less. So it teaches you how to pivot. It teaches how to deal with tension. It teaches how you know, how to work with people you've never worked with. Uh, it teaches you some accounting and business skills. Uh, and you end up learning a lot. And so one of the whole purposes of the community is not only to dispel negative myths, but also to teach you how to pivot quickly, effectively, how to use your network quickly, effectively, and how to uh, work across different platforms, around different viewpoints, political views, et cetera, so that uh, uh, we can make this country a little stronger and better uh, and not leave this place such a mess for you. Wow. Oh, wow. That is, that is really cool. I honestly have no words. Like that is, that is a really great opportunity. Um, it sounds like it's just, it sounds like a really good community <clears throat> for sure. Yeah, and you have to go on one of our trips. Yes, I know. We had, uh, Jesse Schmidt came on mm-hmm. uh, one of our trips and I think she had a good time. Yeah. Me and um, one of um, the, the CEO of um, Grand Pierce, we want to go on one. Um, so that will definitely be something we do in the future. We have, we have one more space left in New York. Really? Oh boy. I'll have to look the at next it. trip is LA. Then we go to Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Cleveland might be a little closer for you. Yes. Yes. Well, I wanted to thank you so much um, for coming on and sharing your wisdom and just taking the time to help students. It really means a lot to us. And um, yeah, just thank you so much. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for making the time for me. So earlier this week, I was reading Tom Kelliker's public relations book. I was on chapter three and I was just kind of skimming the pages, reading through everything, um, getting all the information that I needed for my class. And I came across Bill Amata's. He had a whole page about him 
and just how humble he was when he was talking to me and explaining everything that he's been through. All of his experiences have helped him and shaped him to where he is. Also, feel free to connect with Bill on LinkedIn or other social platforms. Bill really does what he can to help his connections in any way that he can aid his assistance. And so I will leave all of that information in the show notes below. Also, if you liked PR Hangover, feel free to share it with your audience and your people if it helped give you any sort of information that you found to be useful. Thanks again for choosing PR Hangover, and I will see you all next time.